Hi, and welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about saints. I'm Andrea. And I'm Lena. Thanks for being here. Welcome, everyone. We are back for another episode. This one is just saints whose feast days are in August. Yes, which there are a lot of. Yeah, a lot. A lot of big saints. It was hard to pick. Ones we were excited about, so selfishly, instead of like thinking about like, a cool topic. We just wanted to talk about these saints. Saints that are celebrated in August. Yeah. Oh. So that's what we're doing. But our snacks? Yes. And can I just throw in a tidbit here yeah. of just why I, one of the reasons I love the Catholic Church is yeah. that we're such a celebratory. Yes, we are. Faith. That yes. Like there's always something to celebrate. There it's like is. some saints feast day. And if you're not familiar, feast day is just really like the celebration of their life. Yeah. And it's on usually like either their death or their canonization day. Mm-hmm. Um, so these feasts are just, there's, they're all year round. And so you can usually find one day, like just pick a calendar day and look at what what saint is celebrated during that day. And it just, it makes life just so much more joyful. Yeah. I think, you know, like if you're confirmation saint or like if you're named after a saint, like throw yourself like kind of like a little birthday party. Yeah. Literally a feast, a cake, Mm -hmm. say some prayers for them. Right. It's just like mind, body, spirit, just celebrating. Yeah. Oh my uh, gosh, Brucey. Do you think they can hear him? I don't think so. Okay. That He never does this. I could put him outside. He likes being outside. He's okay. It won't yeah. hurt him. He goes outside okay. a lot. Okay, let's try it. He wants to be with you, Lena. I want to be with him. He never does this. I want to be with him too. <laughs> he never if does. I would, I would be barking also. <laughs> so should we talk about our snacks? Yes. Okay. Can I go first? Yes, go first, please. Okay, mine is a little bit related to my saint because of the country of origin. I'm interested to know how. Okay, good. Um, because I chose a soft cheese called Borson cheese. And it is basically like cheese and cream just like whipped together to make it kind of fluffy. But it's also you add like garlic and herbs. I'm talking about it like I've made it, but I really just buy it from the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> and it comes in this little pre-packed like cylinder of foil. Um, you'll see it, but... I always have it on my charcuterie board. It's kind of like the center of it and just having like crackers or um, you could even do like toasted bread. Yeah. Pieces of that. Um, But it's just a nice compliment. It's very savory and almost like borderline, like a little extra, but it's, it's just the right amount of cake. It was delicious. I've never had cheese like that before. So it was so good. Just in terms of the texture. Like soft cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a family of origin thing, but like the only cheese I've ever had is like provolone on sandwiches and like mozzarella cheese sticks. Like all like the different types of cheeses that people like pair with wine. Like we never did stuff like that. Wait, what? Like, so you haven't tried we're, all the... We're not a cheese people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Like I know there's lots of cheeses out there's there. There's so much to mine about I don't this. know anything about cheese. So, like, that's something I would have never gotten for myself. It was so good. Okay. I have a whole world for you to discover. (laughs) Cream cheese. I know about that. Different flavors of cream cheese. (laughs) Okay. I can't. Okay. So, we're going to have, we're going to have, like, a session just me and you of discovering the world of cheese. My friend Carrie Koss, shout out. Sometimes she'll do, like, some type of cheese with, like, jelly or like mm-hmm. preserves on top oh yes sometimes like they'll do like a bar of cream cheese yeah, with like some, i don't think it was, hot jam i've done jelly. stuff like that but when she like gives it to me but i don't even know what it was but like, like what about charcuterie boards do you not well i those? like making them 
but I just, you know, buy what I think will look good, but yeah. I don't know like the pairings and stuff. Oh, gotcha. Like, so if I said Gouda, you wouldn't even know. Um, I think I've had Gouda and I don't think I like it. Okay. Or, we should just try different cheeses and see like what your reactions are. To okay. I know I don't like, like throw blue in some cheese. stinky cheese in there. Too. I don't like blue cheese. I don't like blue cheese. Because I, I know that because of blue cheese dressing though. Yeah, that's good enough. I, guess. I used to get made fun of for how much I love cheese. Like people would call me a mouse because <laughs> I love cheese so much. Well, so this is this good because like, I know nothing. Yeah, this is the perfect pairing. Yeah. Okay. Because I would have never gotten that and I loved it. Oh, good. And I want to eat it all. Right? Like it's it very so addictive. Good. Yeah. I will say. It's hard so to good. stop. Yeah. It's also really good with like just sliced up bell peppers, like orange bell peppers. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What could I do with it in the realm of grilled cheese? Mm, I, because it's a soft cheese, could I, I feel like. make Okay. Because you said it was like creamy. Could it be the butter part? What do you think? I Am I think getting so. too crazy? Okay. Yeah, I would just go with an herb butter. Okay. Instead of that. I, I almost feel like it would. That's how much I liked it, though. Like, I want to, like, smear it on just a piece of it. whole bread. I think you should do that. Okay. Like, just get a piece of good bread. Don't make toasted. it like a whole sandwich. <laughs> like, the whole block <laughs> in a sandwich is what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think you can be more delicate and just still eat the whole thing, but just use bread and just okay. keep it in there. So, But still eat the whole thing. That's the important <laughs> part. Um, my snack is in no way related, but I just had some leftover frosting from your birthday cake. Yes, that I made which you. was beautiful and lovely. It was actually very ugly, but tasting. It was, when I say beautiful, I mean it tasted beautiful. Oh, okay. I, I mean, the I didn't see the whole cake. I got the, well, the slice I had. Yeah. It didn't look ugly to me. The slice was not, but that cake did not turn out aesthetically the way I wanted. <laughs> the form of it? Yeah. Okay, it was gotcha. not a pretty cake. Well, that frosting, the mascarpone frosting. It was very hard to work with. Yeah, it's got its own. Yeah. Attitude. So, but I still had a lot of the frosting left. So I made vanilla cupcakes, mostly just so the frosting wouldn't go to waste. Yeah. So it was like a lot. It was like a lot of cream, a lot of mascarpone. Is it mascarpone or mascarpone? I've always I've heard, heard it as mascarpone. Okay. But um, mascarpone cheese. Like it was like four different types of like cream. Yeah. And I was like. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it tasted good, but I was like, if I just throw this frosting away, like, it'll like be like a whole cow. <laughs> yeah, like a whole cow of, a whole cow's milk was in there. Um, so, yeah, I made vanilla cupcakes. I didn't love how it turned out. I liked it. I'm glad you liked it. The frosting really saved it because the cake was pretty yeah. plain. It was a good combination together because the frosting was so moist that it was like when well, I had it in that's my philosophy on cupcakes. I've told you this before. Like if it's a really sweet frosting, you need a bland yeah. cake in right. my opinion. Yeah. And if it's a really like dense, heavy cake, then the frosting has to be just like not the star. I feel like it, you have to pick one with cupcakes. Yes. It can't be like. The spotlight cannot be on both. No. Then it's overwhelming and not good, yeah. in my opinion. Right. I don't know. Some people might just like the full on sugar. But I need like. One some, needs to be the backup dancer. Yeah. Exactly. Backup dancer. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. So that it. was my I snack. appreciated it. It was just, you know, pure utility. Had to use some frosting. <laughs> Sometimes so. that's the best things turn out that way with baking and cooking. It's like, yeah. oh, I just have extra stuff. I need to throw yeah. something together. I also, I made uh, blueberry muffins because yeah. I just had a lot of blueberries that no one was eating. Yeah. And banana bread is that way. Oh, love you know how I feel with banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so those are the snacks. <clears throat> and I'm really excited about my saint. Should and you go first? I, I w- kind of want to go first. Yes, you should totally go first. 
But I really want to know who yours is. I'll leave you in suspense. Okay. All you get is pork and cheese. It's your okay. Um, I will say, okay, this is like for for real this time top ten. I know I always say that, but this is one of my all time favorites. You can't see me rolling my eyes of all time. <laughs> no, truly, this is one up there. Like maybe top five. Ooh, do if, I know this about you? I don't think you know. Like he's one of my top guys, okay, Father I, Maximilian Colby. Oh, I love him. And like he's like so much like one of my friends that I just call him like Father Max. Oh, like I don't even say Saint Maximilian Colby. He's just Father Max to yeah, me. Yeah, you're like on nickname basis, basically. I don't know if I'm allowed to be on that basis with him, but that's how I feel about him. So it's probably mutual, I'm guessing. (laughs) He's like Andy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So again, like this is a little bit in my nerd zones. Remember like with St. Thomas More, how I love England? Yeah. My other weird, see, this is again why I had no friends when I was little. (laughs) My other weird historical niche that I love to study is World War II. Okay. A lot of and people like, are into that. Yeah. Though. Kind of like specifically though, the Holocaust. Okay. I think because my grandpa fought in World War II. Oh, interesting. He was okay. um, fought mostly in France. So I think like growing up, my like all I heard was like, grandpa can't hear you. You have to speak loud. He lost oh, his hearing in the war. Okay. So I think like I've just been fascinated since like my whole life with yeah. World War II. Just it's like his grandpa was a part of it. Yeah. And when I, you know, when I was little, I'd be like, what was World War II? My parents would always say it was to stop the Holocaust. Mm. So I would like, from a very young age was like, probably way too young was like, what's the Holocaust? Yeah. So like, I loved reading the diary of Anne Frank and, um, probably still like my favorite type of book to sit down with is still a good Holocaust like memoir, Wow. which is why I'm so weird. No, but I like Victor Frankel, of, yes, Edith Corey Eager. Ten Boom, Edith mm-hmm. Eager. She's my favorite. Yeah, the choice. I love that one. Yeah. But I love when, and I don't read them all the time because they're so heavy. They are heavy. But yeah. like my favorite books are like the choice, Man's Search for Meaning, The Hiding Place. So I just like yeah. love this because era. there's so much um, depth to what they found in yes. their survival. Yes, of such horrific conditions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I like it so much. And I remember like being like maybe in middle school telling like my mom and my sister like why do I like it what's wrong with me like why do I like watching these documentaries and reading these books I still don't know why I think it's just going to go back to just like wondering what my grandpa was doing in the war you know just that early connection right but when I found yeah that fascination and then so I I think also like my grandpa didn't speak English and he couldn't hear so really like the only way I could connect with him was like learning these things about the war. Yeah. That's the really context like, of yeah. what his life One was. One of the around. only things yeah. I really truly knew about him yeah. was grandpa can't hear you. He lost his hearing in the war. Oh. He was um, a machine gunner, like artillery guy. Okay. So he like loaded the machine guns. So he was just like wow. near, just like near all of that. Near noise. the loud yeah. fire. So, um, so I what guess when loss. I came into, yeah. I know, I mean, I love him. We had a relationship that was purely nonverbal. So to me, I have a lot of joy about it. That's kind of beautiful. Because it's like, to me, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like a funny, <laughs> But I think it's so funny, sweet that you grandpa. Like, to get to know him because you didn't have that verbal piece. Is yeah. that You read all these things about like what he was surrounded by. Yeah. That's so sweet. Also, I want to just like, Hacksaw Ridge is my favorite World War II movie. If okay. you've seen it. I haven't even heard of it. Oh, you have to watch it. Okay. Because it's about um, Andrew Garfield. Oh, I like and him. he is a Seventh Day Adventist. Okay, and he is a conscientious objector to violence, but he still wants to serve his country in the war. Fascinating. So, like that movie, like in when did my, it come out? 
recently? No, not. It's like, I don't, it's not old. It probably mm-hmm. came out like five years ago, okay. maybe. I'm going to check it out. You have to, because there's that, I mean, Mel Gibson directed it, so he doesn't okay. shy away from, like, his faith. It's, mm-hmm. like, the center point. Yeah. Because people, like, make fun of him for not wanting mm. to touch a gun, but he yeah. ends up being, like, a war hero. And it's a true story. Oh, neat. So, okay. this is just, like, I love, like, World War II movies yeah. and... That whole era. That whole era. So, for us to have, like, saints from our church, like, our church history that intersects Connected with this time with period, yeah. it's, like, my ultimate nerd out. Okay. I'm So, I'm Father here for Max the nerd out. is, like, in it. So that was a really big lead up, but I love talking about World War II. This is great. And that because could be my next podcast. <laughs> yes. This is great because I know like a little about um, St. Maximilian Colby and I have like a favorite phrase of his, but I don't know his whole story. So I'm super excited to hear your take on this so that I can just like soak in his life. Okay. I'm so excited because I love him truly. Like I want to name one. Like if we have another baby, like Maximilian is like a name Aww. I want to use. I know a couple of friends who have named. Oh really? Colby. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen Colby used, but I want to just use like Max. Yeah. Or if that's a girl like Maxine. Oh yeah, cute. Just like anyway. Yeah. Love him. Okay, this I'm just gonna get into his life. I'm also very nervous because I don't think I'm gonna do it justice. His life. And I feel this. So on it's so, so many historical. Levels. Like there's so much to get wrong. I feel like you know what I mean. I think you just do the best you can. Okay. I'm going to do the best I can. Um, so he was born Raymond Colby. I didn't know that. Cool. So that was a cool find right away. 1894. And he was born in Poland, which I never realized he was Polish. So he's never Polish, mind. but it was like during the part when it was still part of Russia. Okay. In World War, like the World War One era. Okay. So that's kind of like the era we find him in. And then for him to live through both World Wars, yeah. which I didn't think about that, but so many people did. Yeah. Crazy. This is interesting. His father was ethnically German and his mother was Polish. Mm-hmm. So that'll come back later that he had German ancestry. And um, he was one of four boys and his family was very de- devout from just like a young age all their life. He tells this famous story that when he was 12, he had a vision of the Virgin Mary and this is kind of like his exact like writing. He said, that night I asked the mother of God what was to become of me. Then she came to me holding two crowns, one white, the other red. She asked me if I was willing to accept either of these crowns. The white one meant that I should preserve in purity and the red that I should become a martyr. I said that I would accept them both. Oh. At 12. Can oh, you believe? my goodness. My gosh. So That's just not like, what I was like at 12. <laughs> no. I was a weirdo reading Lord of the Rings and about the like, Holocaust. I, have to take I was yeah. not doing, I was, this is not where I was at. So beautiful. Right? So just a year later, so he's only 13. Him and his oldest brother, they decide they want to run away and join the Franciscans. Okay. To do this, they had to illegally cross a border into Hungary, which I thought was so crazy. Again, 13, yeah. illegally crossing into another country to join a religious order. Who does that? <laughs> so they did enroll in a Franciscan minor seminary. And then in 1910, he was finally allowed to enter the novitiate. And that's when he changed his name to Maximilian. Mm. Um, and he professed his first vows in 1911 and then final vows in 1914. And then he added like Mary onto his name. So he was Maximilian Maria technically. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Me either. So then World War One happens. Uh, so he was sent to Rome in 1912 and he continued his studies. He earned a doctorate in philosophy and in theology, which I didn't know that, that he was so schooled. Again, this is the World War One era. This is really sad. His father... Julius Colby joined the Polish resistance against the Russians for independent Poland. Mm -hmm. And uh, his kind of 
I guess like troop was eventually captured by the Russians and he was hung for being a traitor against the Russian empire. His dad was? Yeah, his dad was. And his dad was just 43. So uh, Father Max would like go on to say that was like a really traumatic, obviously, event in his life. And also during the time, there was a lot of anti-religious sentiment in Italy. So while he was there, there was a lot of protesting against like the well, there was a lot of protesting by the Communist Party and the Freemasons. Okay, just like against organized religion. So in Rome, like against the Pope and against the Catholic Church. So he also writes about how he was like really deeply impacted by seeing the things that they wrote about the Pope and just like the demonstrations that would happen outside the Vatican. Mm. All his life he had a devotion to Mary, but this is when he really starts leaning on uh, Mary as the Immaculate One, he would always say. Mm -hmm. So he organized the Army of the Immaculate One, Mm -hmm. specifically to work for the conversion of sinners and enemies of the Catholic Church, especially the Freemasons. Okay. Um, And he wanted to see their conversion through the intercession of Mary. So I really liked that during this time of like unrest, he's was really leaning on Mary, but not just like for them to be like defeated or whatever, but for their like conversion. conversion yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. That's very spiritually minded. Yes. So he was like eventually ordained a priest in 1918. And then uh, he returned to the newly independent Poland, just like a little bit later, a year later. And that's when he was actively really promoting the veneration of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. He also remained really politically active, and during this time, he started teaching at a seminary in Krakow. Mm -hmm. Uh, But around this time is also when he really started to struggle with tuberculosis. So he was forced to stop teaching, but he would kind of say that ended up being like a blessing because he couldn't hold down a a steady teaching position, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was able to do this other work of evangelization. So in 1922, he created like a monthly um, magazine called The Night of the Immaculata. And uh, this saw such rapid growth that they um, had to establish like a community of conventual Franciscans that formed around Father Max and like their main apostolate was writing and publishing this magazine. And so they called this monastery that was founded around Father Max and his apostolate. I'm going to say the English name, City of the Immaculata. I don't know how to say the Polish. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) So his main method of evangelization was through Mary, love for Jesus. Yeah. And so I think the amazing thing is that the order, I guess like the monastery that he founded, the City of the Immaculata, originally it was just 18 friars who founded it with Father Max, but like in 12 years it grew to 650 friars who lived there at that seminary. So um, it became a major religious publishing site. And first it was a monastery, but eventually it became like a full-blown seminary for the Franciscans because there was just like so much activity there. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever talked about this or if it's something a lot of people know about. So just kind of like, I kind of wanted to explain that a lot of monasteries do have like an apostolate that they do to like, basically like sustain themselves, but also evangelize. So maybe explain what an apostolate is. Uh, it's kind of just like like their mission. Okay. Like yeah. their mission that they do. Right. So like for Father Max, publishing this paper was like a real job that they could do. Yeah. But also people could um, subscribe to it. And I'm sure it was, they use that money to keep the apostolate going, but to also the seminary. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you can still buy like, um, you can still buy like beer and ale made by monks or like if you yeah, go. Yeah, that's true. I've never been. But you have like, no, you haven't been to Italy, right? Not yet. So I know like in places like Italy where there's a lot of convents and stuff, like there's little windows where you can like 
buy little treats from nuns and that's kind of what they do to sustain themselves. So this was kind of like their thing that they did. So I don't know if people would be confused of why like he was publishing this like political paper, but it was the way that they evangelized and also the way that they kept the monastery going. Kind of a double purpose. Yeah. They've got that, that big magazine going in Poland but then in 1930, um, in 1936, he decided to leave Poland and go to East Asia. Mm-hmm. So he first arrived in Shanghai, China to kind of preach the gospel. He didn't stay there long. and He eventually went to Japan, which I feel like not a lot of people know this about him. But he was a missionary in Japan for mm-hmm. a while, and he founded a Franciscan monastery there on the outskirts of Nagasaki. Okay. And he also started publishing a Japanese edition of The Night of the Immaculata. So he was also doing this work of spreading the gospel through um, the printed word over there. And I just wanted to kind of add this. The monastery he founded still is there and existing and really prominent for the the church in Japan. And I did want to add that after the atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, it survived. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a funny kind of rabbit hole I went down. So according to like Shinto beliefs, Mm -hmm. the side of the mountain it was on was not good for harmony. But it ended up being the side that was shielded from the blast. Yeah. So I thought that was funny that people like cautioned him against building it there, but right. it ended up being what saved saved like, it mostly. That he went just, against superstition yeah. and faith saved him. Right. It was like on oh, anyway. I love that. So I thought that was just like an interesting tidbit. So he's, you know, doing the work of evangelization of getting people to love Jesus through Mary there in Japan. Yes. He did a short um a short mission also, also in Malabar, India. Oh, cool. So for the next few years, he would go back and forth between Poland and Japan. And mostly just to like oversee the publishing apostolate they were doing in yeah. Poland. Um, but eventually, due to his health, he had to be permanently stationed in Poland. So since he was going to be there permanently and kind of be the more direct leader of the monastery, he also decided to start a radio station. Wow, that would, that's fun. Yeah, have like early Catholic radio, basically. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, his plan was eventually to have a monastery like this in every country around the world that was writing and publishing. Mm. And he eventually wanted to move into TV and stuff where they could have like religious programming. And yeah, so, so, so he, forward thinking about yeah. just using the technology of his time. Yes. All about evangelization through media. Now we're in world, the World War II era. So World War II breaks out while he's permanently stationed in Poland. And not a lot of the friars stayed at the monastery But Father Max did, and he turned um, the monastery into a temporary hospital. Mm -hmm. So the town was captured by Germans in 1939 in September, and he was arrested under just general suspicion is what I found, which, what does that even mean? How is that even allowed? Arrested for anything, which I guess is the point. (laughs) So when he was arrested that first time, this is what he said. Courage, my sons. Don't you see we are leaving on a mission they pay our fare in the bargain. What a piece of good luck. The thing to do now is pray well in order to win as many souls as possible. Let us then tell the Blessed Virgin that we are content and that she can do with us anything she wants. His love for the Blessed Mother is just out of this world. Like you can just, It's just so fervent and it feels like she's like he's leading this army and she's just on his side, like yeah. just like fighting for him like, yeah. with just this love and compassion. Such a beautiful relationship between the two of them. Truly, very intimate for sure. Yeah. So they were held in um, in prison and they were released in December. And at this point, he um, turns the monastery into a refugee center. 
So there were a lot of Jews that sought sanctuary in the monastery. So I kind of like researched that a little bit. Obviously, it's kind of hard number wise because a lot of it was done in secret. His monastery helped to hide, feed and clothe around 3000 general Polish refugees and they think about 1,500 of them were um, were Jews that he mm. helped hide and everything. And so also at the same time, they're still publishing their paper. And uh, they offered strong criticism of the Nazis. Okay. This quote is what they think is eventually what made them go ahead and just stop all of his operations. Shut it down, yeah. He said, no one in the world can change truth. What we can do and should do is to seek truth and to serve it when we have found it. The real conflict is the inner conflict. Beyond armies of occupation and the hectums of extermination camps, there are two irreconcilable enemies in the depth of every soul, good and evil, sin and love. And what uses are the victories on the battlefield if we over, if we ourselves are defeated in our innermost personal selves? Wow, that is deep. Yeah, really deep. Yeah. I had to read that a few times yeah, when I was that, first read it. Yeah, there's you know, so he's much bas- to it. Yeah, basically really calling out people who are content to let the war go on but not do the work against the nazis themselves right and to like kind of fall for all their propaganda and stuff yeah so a lot of people think that that since that was kind of one of the last things he published a lot of people think that that is what made them decide to go ahead and take him in so after that he was arrested and just sent to polish prison but then he was sent to auschwitz Mm -hmm. which i don't know if everyone knows this i don't know if like it's common knowledge or if I just know because I'm a weirdo, but Auschwitz was like the worst of all the death all camps. The camps. It yeah. did like the most deaths and every, the, the way in which they did it, the everything. way they did it. Like yeah. the people who ran it were like the most yucky, murderous evil. Yeah. So he ended up going to Auschwitz. I actually found his prisoner number it was one six, six, seven, zero. And something about me, like seeing that was like, oh my gosh, like I so real. Yeah. I had never like, and so dehumanizing, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I had never like really, like I knew the stories, but finding like that little fact was like crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that just like really hit me to see like what his number became. Right. So at Auschwitz, you could either go straight to the death camp or go to the work camp. So he was sent to the work camp first. What his work was, was carrying the big heavy blocks that would eventually become like parts of the crematorium and crazy things like that. It said that there was an ex-convict who became a like guard at the at the death camp who especially hated Father Max. And so witnesses in the camp say that he was particularly brutal to him out of everyone else and that um, he always accepted this like being singled out and the mistreatment with like this like crazy calm and peace about him like he never seemed frazzled by yeah frazzled yeah which i thought was so crazy that Um, in itself i feel like would just draw people to like okay what's the secret yeah well so people always reported that he had his deep faith and that he was always stayed very dignified in the face of the treatment like like you said he was never frazzled so on one of the there was one story where this um this guard made father max carry these really, really heavy planks until he collapsed under them. And then he beat him to the point where he thought he was dead and was just going to leave him there. And then the other prisoners actually smuggled him into just like the the camp part, like yeah. the prison part. So right. he could actually recover there. And that kind of shows like how he was loved by the other prisoners too, that yeah. they went out on a limb and smuggled him into they a different their part. Life for them. Yeah. And they say that he was so selfless and he always shared his food, was like always giving it away mm. and was still preaching the gospel to the prisoners in the camp. Yeah. That's your priest. And oh yeah. Still, still kept his priestly, his priestly duties, duties yeah. for sure. So 
This is kind of the part of his story that mostly everyone knows. In July of 1941, three prisoners managed to escape the camp. Okay. And what the Nazis said was that if one of you escapes, then we kill someone else who's innocent. So that was kind of how they kept them in line. So since they lost three people, they decided that 10 people would die for their mistake or like their sin. So one of the men selected randomly was Francis Guy Vichek, I think is how you say his name. Mm -hmm. So he was selected randomly. And when they called his number, it said that he like cried out for his wife and his children. You know, he kind of just like, I'm never going to see his, like really like lamented his family. So at that point, Father Max steps forward and he says, I'm a Catholic priest. I don't have any wife or children and I want to take his place. Mm -hmm. And this had never happened before. There's like so much symbolism right here of the priest being the sacrifice. Okay. Yes. (laughs) So this has never happened in Auschwitz before. And it never happened again. Actually, I read that someone like giving like taking, taking the someone's place, place never yeah. happened again. Mm. So they think that the guards were just so surprised that they let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then this is a quote, um, quote from Francis Gajewicz. He said, "I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live, and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me. A stranger, is this some dream? I was put back into my place without having had time to say anything to Maximilian Colby." I was saved, and I owed to him the fact that I could tell you all this. The news quickly spread all around the camp. It was the first and last time that such an incident happened in the whole history of Auschwitz. What a manifestation of Jesus' love. Right? Which, I guess, like, one of the, well, I guess my favorite telling of Father Max's life is in the Alpha Course. Which okay. Did you ever do it? I did. I don't remember okay. the reference to So, Alpha is a course that's, made for people who want to just encounter the basic gospel story like who is jesus is literally one of the sessions and they use father max's life as an example of who jesus is Mm -hmm. and i love that because it's a it's not just a course for catholics it's a course for like literally anyone anyone just seeking more relationship with yeah like i met a muslim girl in it who um just had questions about literally who jesus was yeah so like anyone can do it, but anyone they use questioning, right? They use his, this story in his life to like put it in perspective in a way that we can understand while like, you know, the crucifixion, the cross is like the centerpiece of our faith. Like we don't have reference for that anymore. Like we're so far removed from just the historical. Yeah. Like it's almost like cultural. it can be hard for people to picture. I think sometimes gotcha. and yeah. like to really picture like the savagery yeah. of it and what yeah. Jesus went through. So yeah. they kind of put use this story to like put it in a way that a lot of people can understand like oh, what jesus actually like he's did. like a bridge too yeah so they yeah. use father max's story to show like he wasn't guilty of any sin but he took on the sin of like someone mm-hmm. someone else's um what's the word i'm looking for someone else's judgment yeah. that francis guy Vichek would die that he took it on and suffered it though he was innocent it could be like almost like an allegory except it's true like just like as like a metaphor yeah whatever you want to call it like he this really is like a more modern day representation a more modern yeah. day representation of what jesus did for us and like you said he was a priest so truly yes. like in persona christi oh. yeah this was a true act of taking on someone's judgment and bearing the cost of it yeah so i think like that's why i love him too i mean there's some like his evangelization is love for Mary, but like that is such like yeah. a real tangible thing when you're trying to like picture Mary at the foot of the cross, you're trying to picture what it was like, you know. Yeah. And actually, do have you are, are you going to go into this part where um, like the Blessed Mother appears to him in the last couple hours before his death? No, 
Okay, can I yeah, tell, tell me. you about it? Okay, so like it says, I was pulling it up as like you were talking, but it says, um, if you have ever done the 33 days to consecration, the Marian consecration, um, it's in Father Michael Gately's book, but on day nine, day nine and 10 of the Marian consecration is about who are you, uh, immaculate conception. So mm-hmm. um, at Lourdes, the Blessed Mother comes to St. Bernadette and says, uh, I am the Immaculate Conception. And so there's, you know, um, some room for interpretation of mm-hmm. what that means, right? And so it, it says, two hours before his death, St. Maximilian penned the answer to the question, who are you, O Immaculate Conception? Uh, Mary did not tell Bernadette, I was immaculately conceived, but rather, I am the Immaculate Conception. And so St. Maximilian Colby's understanding was that Mary is the created Immaculate Conception and that the Holy Spirit is the uncreated Immaculate Conception. Mm. So, um, And the Holy Spirit is life and love that springs forth. So almost this idea of Mary being the spouse of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or the incarnation in some sense that could mm-hmm. be kind of further extrapolated. Um, and so it was like he received that divine wisdom right before his death. And it, mm. it feels like kind of how you're saying, like Mary was at the foot of the cross. It was like she was just like there with him in those yeah. final moments. Um, bearing that also because he had such a devotion for her yeah definitely so his death was like very dignified and very holy he was led to an underground bunker where he would be star starved with the other prisoners that were called the other 10 and it said that um, the whole time he was just very serene very peaceful and ministering to the other prisoners one of the other polish prisoners who was his job to like empty their like their um, latrine and all that stuff he said the ten condemned to death went through terrible days from the underground cell in which they were shut up. There continually arose the echo of prayers and canticles. The man in charge of emptying the buckets of urine found them always empty. There strove the prisoners to drink the contents. Since they had grown very weak, prayers were now only whispered. At every inspection, when almost all the others were now lying on the floor, Father Colby was seen kneeling or standing in the center, and he always looked cheerfully in the face of the SS men. Mm. And even there's um, quotes from the guards saying that they had never seen someone like him, that he must be a really great man. And he was the last to die. It took two weeks for all the prisoners to die except Father Max just from starvation. So eventually they needed the cell emptied for new prisoners, which is terrible. So they say um, that... He, at the time when he would be administered lethal injection, he just like very calmly gave them his arm and very serenely accepted death. Like Um, he was not afraid of death. He was in no way afraid. Just Just the whole time. Calm. They say unbothered, peaceful. Um, And the story of what he did in Auschwitz, but also how he greeted death. They say it was spread throughout all the prisoners and it gave them um, like hope. But yeah. also a taste of like what dignity could be like, just like the the peace that they had been robbed of. Like they had a way to visualize yeah. it. I'm just kind of paraphrasing different things that I read no, from that, what the prisoner said. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It kind of sounds like kind of that same attitude of Victor Frankel of just mm-hmm. like your response. Mm-hmm. They can't take away what your response is. To yeah, that, right. So he kind of empowered them with that. Yeah, that they like he gave them that that visual. Yeah, and so after the war, like his reputation already spread like 
in real time, like in Auschwitz with the people who were seeing him. But after the war, he became a real symbol of courage. Mm -hmm. So he was canonized and martyred by JP2, who was also lived through the German occupation of Poland. Mm -hmm. And then um, at the time he was beatified and canonized, Francis Guyvicek was there with his family at both. Oh, that's so, so he's, cool. He survived the he Holocaust survived. and yeah, found so it his was family. Not, it was not and he was nothing, there at yeah. both of them, oh. at both of those canonizations, beatifications. So beautiful. And then I thought this was just like an interesting thing to end on. Some people say that he shouldn't be considered a martyr because the definition of a martyr is someone who dies because of hatred for the faith. But JP2 says that the systematic hatred of the Nazis made his act inherently for the faith since they also had inherent hate of anything that was good and faithful yeah of the dignity of life right so he says so jp2 said that he would be considered a martyr because of the manner that he died right um and then at his canonization jp2 said maximilian did not die but gave his life for his brother so i thought that was just like an interesting way to oh that's cool like a sacrifice yeah and then um i didn't know what he was the patron of because i just like him yeah. so i just never bothered to look that up but uh, I found out he is the saint, patron saint of amateur radio operators, oh, drug cool. addicts, political oh. prisoners, families, journalists, and prisoners. Um, JP2 said he was the saint of our difficult century, and his feast day is on August 14th, which oh, is coming up. Very cool. Yeah, it is. And that's my friend, Father Max. I love, love him. I love him. I love him. I've only known about his devotion. I mean, I knew some of the World War II context just in the relation of like how he died and mm -hmm. for the blessed mother but that was just so cool to hear like his backstory and um and just how it just feels like he was just carried by the blessed mother all the way through till the very end and yeah. just like she gave him that hope and peace um to keep going yeah there's just so many fruits that came from that he has a very famous saying that um when people criticize the catholic church for um our emphasis on the Blessed Mother and like our relationship with the Blessed Mother. He has a quote that says, never be afraid of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Jesus did. Yeah. And I just, I love that. That just puts everything in perspective of like, okay, you know, if Jesus could do it, then we're allowed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he just has a way with words and just speaking from the heart of just his love. So I love that you picked him. I love him. I think like why... Like my brain that is just like always in the mode of how do I explain the gospel to someone who's never heard it before just yeah. from like doing ministry work. Yeah, just evangelizing. I think he's like just like such a tangible, such a tangible thing that you can point to. It's like this person's life was inspired by what Jesus did. So like yeah. see what he did and like that also happened, but like Jesus did it and it was like, so much more efficacious. Yeah, yeah, it was like for the whole world, it was for you. For all time. Yeah, yeah for all time, not just like this one person in this mm -hmm. one instance, this one time. And yet it is for one person. It's like all of it. Yes, right? so I love him. It's just the intersection of all my weird mm. fascinations. Cool, I can the see Saints, why he's in your top five. World War Two. Yeah, it I hits like him. all the boxes. Yeah, and I think like why I get so excited about these really historical saints is that like you can say like, look, I'm not saying like they're cool because I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. Like, this was like a historical event that happened in World War II. Yeah. You know, like we talk about Anne Frank and we talk about Viktor Frankl and right. like Bonifer, like all these people who stood up to the Nazis. You can just point to him and just like as a person, not a faith, just say right. like he was cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he did but, some outstanding work. Yeah. yeah. Just like anyone would say he's cool. <laughs> 
Like not just Catholics. <laughs> or and if you don't, Andrea will fight you. Yeah. I will. <laughs> So I think that's why, like, I get excited about these saints. Their Wikipedia page is not just Catholicism. Right. You know, it's like a global impact. Yes. I get excited. I love it. <laughs> There's like a light in your eyes, and I love it. It's I contagious. Love I love him. <laughs> okay, tell me yours. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm nervous. <gasps> this is, is a it? saint I didn't know much about. I feel like, you know how sometimes we say, like, saints find us. Yeah. I feel like the saint found me, and I feel like after, like, reading about him, I, like, know him now. Oh, good. St. John Vianney. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> he is the patron saint of um, past, like priests, mm-hmm. diocesan priests, pastoral um, priests. That's so, all that I know about him, that yes. he loved being a priest. That's he all I know. He was an amazing priest, and he was um, so humble of heart and just um, so desiring to share like the love of God with his uh, parishioners that it just, he has such a simple story, but yet it's not simple. And so I just, I'm excited to just talk about him. Yeah. Okay. So um, his name is John Baptiste uh, Marie Vianney, but he goes by John, John Vianney. And he's also known as the Curé de Ars, um, which just means like the parish priest of the town of Ars. Um, so he's the Catholic Church's patron saint of parish priests. He's very um, well known. Just, I mean, lots of churches are named after him. And he was a champion of the poor and was a third order Franciscan. And he received like this um, award of the French Legion of Honor. His remarkable sanctity and commitment to his small rural parish in France, which was only like 200 people when he was first assigned there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it drew over 100,000 pilgrims each year. Wow. So people journeyed from all over Europe to attend his masses or sit in his confessional where he spent up to 16 hours a day hearing People confess their sins. Dang. So he was very committed um, to what he was doing. And um, for a town that had um, such a small population, he, it was his faith that drew all these people towards him. Mm-hmm. And he just never turned anyone away. Um, so it said that he's credited for saying, if we really understood the priest on earth, we would die, not out of fear, but out of love. And it's kind of like his whole life is kind of summed up in that idea of just um, if you understood how much love um, a parish priest gives to his community and Mm -hmm. how much sacrifice and devotion, if we fully understood what that looked like, we would just be like, like unfathomable for Mm -hmm. us. And so I think I really like this, that we're, we both picked um, priests as our saints because Franciscans. Oh yeah. They're both Franciscans. Okay. Even better. I'm, I really love Franciscan priests. Um, But just giving kind of um, honor to the vocation of priests. Mm-hmm. And there's so much criticism that often takes place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, people, when they want to talk to a priest is to complain or to like, you know. It's um, true. But, um, and anything that's held to a high standard, obviously, um, gets criticized. But just to understand, like, the devotion and love that they give to the vocation and mm-hmm. through the eyes of these two priests that were just mm-hmm. so remarkable. Um, but just to kind of give you a little background in his early life, he was born on May 8th, 1786 in a town um, near Lyons in kind of like Eastern France. And his parents were devout Catholics. They were farmers. And from an early age, John worked in the fields and he didn't have a formal education. And this was around the time of the French revolution. Mm-hmm. And so his education got disrupted in between as well. So that kind of um, hindered him in his academics. 
Um, so as a young man, he was functionally illiterate, but thanks to his mom's teachings, he was able to memorize and understand like several prayers and live a devout religious mm, life. Yeah. Um, so his mom played a big impact in, in his faith. Um, and I know that like they had def- his parents had definitely had a, um, invested interest in helping the poor as well. That mm-hmm. was on their hearts also. So because they, this was at the time of the French revolution, priests were doing sacraments like in secret. Oh, cool. I know. Yeah. So like, um, Espionage. John- <laughs> So John Vianney um, received his first confession at home rather than a church to a what's called like a non-juring priest, a priest that had not sworn lo- loyalty to the revolutionary government. And that same priest gave him his first communion in a barn during a underground mass. Like cool. it sounds like so um, risky. But like these priests were like known for their heroism because mm-hmm. they were doing things that were against kind of what the government was trying. And so I think through John's eyes at such a young age, seeing the priest doing that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and having to do things in secrecy to deliver Jesus to him, I think just set his heart on fire for the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And so at age 17, John felt the call to priesthood. And he said, if I am to be a priest, I will win many souls for God. So he just yeah. kind of like knew that had that confidence. Um, and so... He, um, because of his poor academic, you know, um, difficulties, like getting into the seminary was hard and staying Mm -hmm. in the seminary was hard. Um, So he, he, there was a priest that helped, like a family friend and local pastor who helped like personally tutor him to make sure that he could get ordained and like get through the process. So he definitely... um, was not like the super academically intellectual, intellectually gifted person. Um, but that's what makes his story so cool because he goes on to be like one of the like biggest shining stars of like Catholic priests. And so it just goes to show like um, it's not our own like worldly accomplishments or like what our mind is capable of. It's like God can do like such great things through mm-hmm. simplicity. And so He's just such a beautiful example of that. Yeah, I knew that because in college, I was like always like, if St. John Vianney can do it, he was illiterate, I can do this. Like he, yeah, the Lord will get me through yeah. it. That's all I knew about him, that he wasn't very smart, but still felt called to the priesthood. So yeah. he, God helped him. And, you know, I, I think that that can still speak to like our priests in this day and age of like where the intellect is so stimulated for homilies and like just mm-hmm. um, content that um, there's such a place for simply preaching the gospel of love, mm-hmm. which is what St. Vianney yeah. was known for and how that can, um, can often be like just such a direct pathway to conversion. Mm-hmm. And so, Oh, I want to, I said he wasn't very smart. He just wasn't as educated as other priests. He right. could have still been very smart. Yeah. I think that he was just me telegraphing when I was in college saying, I'm not very <laughs> smart, but St. John Vianney yeah, was. I have it. a, I have a thing that I feel like we're all geniuses just in different ways. But like, um, yeah, I don't think he had the resources is what it was. Yeah. His education got interrupted by the, by the war. Um, yeah, because it says, um, because the French revolution had interrupted his early education, St. Fanny mm-hmm. struggled in his studies, especially Latin. That's uh, why. Cause I almost didn't graduate because of Latin. See, I'm, so yeah. I knew that about him. Yeah. He was my friend. <laughs> That's all I knew though. As says his education was once again erupted in 1809 when he was drafted into Napoleon's army. Um, two days after St. Vianney was expected to report at Lyons, he fell ill and required medical care. So he was left behind by his draft as a result of his hospitalization. 
And then there was a second time where he got lost with his group. Like he was drafted again and he got lost with this group. And so like avoided the war, like nice. entering the war again. Jesus had his back. Yes. And so like somebody found him and he ended up like they were in the mountains and he ended up living in the mountains for about 14 months with this group, changed his name to Jerome Vincent, it says, mm-hmm. um, and then opened a school for the village children. So like no matter where he went, he was always helping people. I didn't know all that. Like, yeah. The war intersected his life so much. Yes. And so, um, I think that time kind of away almost was kind of like that um, monastery type life of mm-hmm. like um, what we were talking about last time of like living in a cave type feeling. Yeah. Um, but then um, around that time after he stayed in the mountains for a while, he attended a seminary and was later sent. It was a minor seminary near that area where he was in the mountains. And then he was later sent to a major seminary at Lyons in 1813. Um, he struggled. He still struggled with his schooling, but Abby Bally persuaded the vicar general that St. Vianney's extraordinary piety made up for his limitations. Yeah, come on. Yeah, like just his virtues Mm -hmm. um, should make up for the Latin. Thank you. Of course it should. (laughs) Can we use that now, like in college? Please. But I'm so virtuous. (laughs) Um, Okay, so he was finally ordained a priest on August 12th, 1815, and celebrated his first mass the very next day. He was also appointed the Abbey Bally's assistant. Um, and then when that um, Abbey Bally passed away three years later, St. Vianney was appointed parish priest of the town of Ars. And it says it, the community was about 230 people. And like his eyes were open to like the sordid state of the community. They mm. just, because of the revolution, it had made many people ignorant or indifferent towards religion and morality and kind of caused them to behave in debauchery, basically. Mm. And so he was just, like, kind of floored by, like, the state of the community. And it says that it took St. Vianney 10 years to bring spiritual renewal to ours, but his perseverance resulted in greater attendance in his church and the people turning away from their vices. The town tavern started closing down, and domestic quarrels became less. Okay, oh, so <laughs> he he kind of revamped the community itself, um, turning them away from sin. I love that because okay, so as someone who previously worked in parish ministry, yeah. there's such like pressure to be like, are we like getting numbers? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. are we getting like, are we competing with the big Protestant mega church down the road? Truly, right. yeah, but. You know, like, hey, are the people going to the tavern less? That's like a measure of success. <laughs> are like is. people yeah. not fighting right. with their families? Yeah. We don't know. Like, right. maybe, you know, like those are the real measures of success. Yeah, like, like I love that. people's lives are changing. That's truly like the meat and potatoes of right. like Jesus should be changing your life in like those little ways. Yes, in those everyday ways. Yeah, like not um, everyone's going to be a war hero like Father right. Max. Like that's really the, yeah, I love um, that. He kind of turned them away from yeah, sin. Those are those. I feel like those are the changes that kind of matter for more people. Yeah, in the, the long little run. changes yeah. over time and changing habits, um, and just that he was assigned to such a small town, and it's not like that ever changed. Like he died there, and that that became like he became so famous just for serving this little town. It's not like he became this huge bishop and like you know like. Um, made this like impact for some huge area it's just that because of who he was he in his little town he drew the world to him which was really cool 
Um, it also says that St. John Vianney found joy in teaching the children their catechism and taught people love for the rosary. Uh, he also opened a home for orphaned girls at the time. And said St. Vianney started drawing pilgrims who sought his advice by 1855. About 20,000 people would visit him seeking his counsel. In the last 18, um, in the last 10 years of his life, he would spend 16 to 18 hours per day in the confessional. That's crazy. So it was less in the winter, but 16 to 18 hours was during kind of their summertime. My husband, Luis, would not like that. <laughs> Luis is like timing the people. It's like, you need five minutes. In and it's out. It's not spiritual direction. They should make an appointment. <laughs> I feel like. Some people would hear that and be like, wow, St. John Vianney was so, so holy. And Luis would be like, get him out of there. Get him in and out. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't know because he, there were so many people that came. So we don't know whether he spent a long time or just that there were so many people. That, That's crazy. Right? Like, I mean, 20,000. Probably both. Probably Yeah, some of both. I mean, he's said to have, um, have that ability to read souls. Oh, so, yeah. I've, I've heard that. Yeah. So, like, someone... Like, he would talk to someone before they would even say anything. He'd be like, you need to change your life. Your wife has died, and you need to, like, clean up your conscience before mm-hmm. you can clean up your life. Mm-hmm. And the guy would be like, what? How did you know this? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like he could just read his heart. And that's just such a spiritual gift, and he used that in such a profound way to change so many lives. Um, it also says St. Vianney was able to transcend over his limitations and humble beginnings to become exemplary priest who changed his town and even the world. Um, and there is this part of his life that he would spend all this time in the confessional because he really believed that um, the sacrament of confession was what led to the conversion of sinners and returned them back to God. And he very much believed in that sacrament and the power of it. And when he was, so he would spend all day in the confessional by the kind of the end of his um, pastoral term. But at night, he didn't get much rest because there were often times where there are like writings about uh, him being taunted by the devil. Oh, I don't know if I heard that. Yeah. So he's accounted to it. And there have been several people who have stayed at like where his, his rectory was and have also like heard like what's gone on. Like, wow. um, because it was the way in which he was tormented was, like through sounds, like it would be like banging on the walls or like it would sound like this huge like rush of people, like, you know, like this army of people. So it was constant noise. Oh my gosh, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. And it like sensory overload. Oh, yes. So like, I mean, I think that that is so interesting because we can attribute like noise and distraction here to what leads us away from God. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that we would consider quote unquote noise now. Um, But the devil was using like literal noise to just like keep him awake so that he wouldn't get any rest so that he couldn't serve oh, as well. I feel triggered. <laughs> Those were like all my things, like noise pollution and then not sleeping. Right. Like, like I felt my nostrils flare a little bit. Like those are exactly the things that I would be like, I can't. Like your, tr- like your buttons to push. And that, re- like I felt like my chest tightened a little bit. Those are my things. <laughs> well, okay. So I will tell you that, you know, at first it like incited so much fear in St. John Vianney because he just didn't know what was going on and like what happened. But over time, because it would happen continuously to him. He started to kind of like understand the devil. Like, um, and I think one time his sister came and visited him and she was like, 
I do not want to stay with him after this because she she would hear it. I think he was down in the confessional when she was hearing it, you know, upstairs. And mm-hmm. she came down and he was like, oh, don't worry. That's just the devil. And he um, just doesn't want me to be doing my work. And that, this is how he does it. You know, like it's like he just had this understanding of um, what the devil's motives were. And so it like almost disarmed the devil in yeah. a way um, because he was just like, that just means we have like a lot of sinners coming today. Like that was just, he, he rationalized in that way and it dissipated the fear. Um, but that's not to take like, to diminish the fact that he was definitely protected mm-hmm. um, and definitely had the blessed mother on his side. And so um, even when he was working with people who, um, I don't know if he was doing an exorcism on him. He must have been doing some type of exorcism on them because he worked with people that were possessed. Mm-hmm. And so there are writings of like what the possessed would say um, mm-hmm. and, you know, John Vianney's like response back. And so I have a quote from, um, one where the possessed is saying, you weary me off. Ah, the virgin did not protect you, but patience. So he's talking basically directly to St. John Vianney. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, if the virgin did not protect you, but patience, we have brought greater than you to ruin. You are not dead yet. Why do you rise so early? You disobey your violet robe who has ordered you to take more care of yourself. Why do you preach so simply? You will pass for an ignorant man. Oh, how I like those grand sermons, which disturb no one and which will allow people to live in their own way and do as they like. Many sleep at your catechisms, but there are others who are touched to the heart by your simple words. And so the devil is so angered by this man's simplicity um, that people it goes directly to the heart of people. And he's like, I want you to be more grandiose. I want you to like do all these things. People are going to think you're ignorant. So he's like trying to touch all these different like pride points. And St. John Vianney is so humble that he's just like, it just doesn't even phase him. That's so funny. And so it's like the devil has nothing to work with. Yeah. And so it's quoted that um, the devil, uh, St. John Vianney says that the devil has said to him, if only there, if there were three priests in the world like you, like my entire kingdom would be ruined or something like that. I know. So like that just speaks to the power of priesthood and, Mm -hmm. um, and humility and what, just the devotion to the call of serving his parishioners, yeah. like what that could do to the world. Um, I wanted to share, ours became known as the Great Hospital of Souls because he was performing all of these confessions there. And St. John Vianney would keep vigils and he would fast to a great extent. And he would wear like tattered clothes. Even mm-hmm. um, people complained like, oh, he's not wearing his sash. And the bishop mm-hmm. was like, the ours, like the cure to ours without a sash is worth more than like a priest with a sash. So um, he became very well known for just taking very little and really serving his community. And it said that he said, I'll tell you my recipe. He told one of his confreres, I give sinners a small penance and the rest I do in their place. Oh, wow. And I just, uh, when I read that, I just started cheering (laughs) up so much because I just, it just speaks to the love of what priests do without mm-hmm. their parishioners knowing mm-hmm. how much sacrifice mm-hmm. they take on and how much they do for their devotion to their flock and how he would fast. And he knew like what, what his sheep could handle. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I'll take on the rest, which feels so much like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then just like they can have their small penance, but I'll take on the real penance and mm-hmm. like, or like the rest of it, I'll take it on for them. And similar to St. Maximilian Colby too, of just that idea of just the, 
self-sacrifice, the dying to self that continually takes place every day um, for the priests. And so his humility was just um, in the face of, you know, difficult situations early in life of, of getting the resources he needed. It was just his humility, his simplicity, his obedience, and his um, love for the priesthood that just made him uh, such a devoted priest that served his community. And I, it's so, you know, looking back, it's so clear to see, like, why he would be such a great example for priests and be mm-hmm. the patron saint of priests. Um, and it's just amazing to think that there are so many amazing saints Mm-hmm. that were priests, but that it's St. John Vianney that was picked as, yeah. as the patron, um, which just speaks to the churches, um, how much they revere that humility and obedience um, and simplicity for the mm-hmm. gospel. Um, so I just, I love him. I think he's just um, such a sweet example of living that priestly vocation. I think there's the historical reference, but just his spirituality, just being such a spiritual giant, kind of staying devoted to simplicity of yeah. the gospel, of that it's love and mercy mm. and service. Yeah. Feels like it. I'm going to have to pray with this Yeah, some more because it's definitely hard. I think there's a different way that you see a priest when one is your boss. Okay. So just like over the years of working in ministry. Yeah. It's yeah. like really different. And I yeah. actually talked to someone once who was a missionary and I yeah. asked why they never did parish work. And they're like, yeah. I just don't want to have a priest as a boss. And I was like, that's weird. But now I get it. That makes sense. It's like yeah. really different. Um, Just like a Because di- like they're also human people too. Right. Right. So, but I think I needed to hear some of that. Yeah. To get a little bit of like. To restore the relation, the pastoral relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think there's that also side of like, I don't know. So like you kind of forget a little bit of like the reverence because working for the church, you have like that privilege of it just being so commonplace that there's a priest down the hall all the time. Right. So in that way, I'm a little desensitized. So I needed to be like, oh yeah, the priesthood is like really special. (laughs) They're not just like your boss down the hall sometimes yeah I mean I, they uh, you know they have to play both roles oftentimes yeah. especially a parish priest who has to essentially run the business side of things mm-hmm. also and be an employer which is really you know very difficult balance I'm sure yeah um, whereas a lot of people who don't work on that side or aren't in ministry really see the priest as the uh, persona Christi of like yeah you know, coming in and being that standing in for the place of Jesus and so something really special about that so it's oftentimes maybe a sacrifice that people in ministry have to I think so I think I needed that reminder of like oh my gosh the priesthood is so special oh it is (laughs) yeah for gosh like oh that's just father right right yeah it's uh, I think also like I'm processing vocally a little bit I think I've also had the privilege of some priests letting me not see them at their priestly side yeah and being like I don't know when I call any priests out at all but just like hear them make like a sarcastic joke oh, yeah. and just see just like, they're their like human it's side. just yeah. like a cranky old father so-and-so, you know, yeah. like yeah. Seeing, so seeing the really human side and realizing that might've been a privilege too, that kind of desensitized me. But I think I, for sure. It could be both. I mean, I think, cause like, yeah, no, go ahead. I think, no, I think you said St. John Vianney was like calling to you, but I think he all like through you oh. called to me and was like, <laughs> Hey, come back. This is like, yeah. A really cool thing that Catholics have priests. Yes, absolutely. I, I forgot. I'm going to pray for his intercession for you to yeah. restore your heart. R- really, way. I just forgot that priests were cool. Thank they you. They are so cool. And just the fact that 
a regular human who can be cranky and sarcastic and all these different things and have their own human flaws is still, I mean, just think about Peter. Oh yeah. Right. So like if, if that, like it, it's such a grace that's Mm -hmm. given. And so, and I just, I don't know. I love it. I love him. I pray for priests. They have a hard, they do have a hard hard vocation. Yeah. A beautiful one. So yeah. I love it. Thank you for reminding me of him. Oh, you bet. I forgot about him. I'm and so then glad. the cheese was because he's from France. Yes. I didn't even pl- no, make I, it full I circle again, together. but yeah, it was a French cheese. Yeah. So love it. Soft cheeses from yeah. France. Have you been to France? I have. I've been twice. Once uh, with Royce, like early on when we were married. And then the second time I went on a pilgrimage with my dad to Lourdes. Oh yeah. Um, which was beautiful. And at Lourdes, there's a statue of St. Maximilian Colby oh, really? there too, because he's just such a giant for the love of Mary to Jesus oh, through Mary. that makes sense. Wait, yeah. Lourdes is the water, right? Yes, the healing waters. Okay. St. Bernadette. The quick, while we're talking about France and Mary, yeah. my childhood crush was Zac Efron. <laughs> and he High did, school musical, oh, Zac Efron. Yeah. Okay. In the thick. Those days. That was mm-hmm. the thick of my, mm-hmm. my youth. Um, <laughs> But he did a documentary all about just like earth conservation and just like. I saw that. Did you see the one where they went to Lourdes? Yes. I think everyone should watch it because he's 100% just like a secular guy. Right. Like maybe spiritual. Yeah. But a secular guy, his friend he went with is definitely like into new age stuff. Darren, I forget his last name. He's like, he's new agey. Right. But it was all about, the episode was all about like why we need to conserve like water and just right. like how the resource water, of water like, yeah like water as a resource yeah and they went to france and went to lords yeah and like it was a completely secular look at what happens there yeah and it was so well done oh i love that did you watch yeah. it i did watch it i now i have to like rewatch it because i watched it a long time ago and now i like, I just was like blown away because i, I think i watched like- it before i went Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was so well done yeah. and like so objective. Plug for Zac, Zac Efron. Plug for Zac Efron, for sure. <laughs> and he's like, you can, he takes part in a procession. You could tell he's oh. like affected by it. Yeah. Like he knows like something is happening there. Yeah. Yeah. The procession is like, they say the rosary in every different language. Like there's so many nations represented. It is just such a communal experience. Yeah. Like, but I felt like that was such a cool thing to see and like the secular yeah. thing on Netflix. Ah. Uh. By like a new age guy and like a Hollywood actor. I know. Just anyway, touting, just like touting the gifts of the Blessed Mother. Yeah, plug for Mary in all I'm, all ways you can access her. Zach Efron, Father Max. It could be anything. Oh, and I'm gonna do the trifecta. And I'm gonna make that my <laughs> blessing. If we okay. are we ready to yeah, go into blessings? Let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna say my blessing is the Marian consecration because. Um, if so, if you're not familiar, I don't know if we've talked about it. I don't um, think we have before. Consecration is basically like devoting your life, um, it, like all your works, your joys, your sorrows, and you're putting it in the hands of the Blessed Mother to bring to Jesus, kind of on a silver platter, and to just um, perfect your prayers and all of your offerings um, to make them even more perfect in, in the light of her love. And so it's kind of a um, complete trust and surrender, almost like as a like like my mom knows best for me mm-hmm. type idea of like you just trust her that she'll take it and she'll do great things with it and I have to tell you that like I did the Marian consecration um, and it's just really like a preparation there's de- definitely different ways to do it St. Mm-hmm. Maximilian Colby wrote one of the different ways to do the consecration um, so there's big saints that have wrote like very heady intellectual mm-hmm. ways to do it there's a um, smaller way that 
is more modern by um, Father Michael Gately called the 33 Days to Marian Consecration or 33 Days to Morning Glory. Um, but it just basically prepares the heart and helps you to understand the Blessed Mother's role in the church more um, more deeply. But I will say that I walked through that and walked through that book and um, that was my game changer in my faith. Really? Yeah. Like wow. that was like that turning point of like once I gave it to her, like nothing has been the same ever since. Oh. And so um, just in line with, you know, St. Maximilian Colby's devotion with her, just this idea of just like you give it all to her and she will take it and give you graces that you've never even thought to ask for. So, mm-hmm. um, so that has definitely been my blessing, a lifelong blessing ever since then. And I will, if someone's like going through uh, you know, something and be like, do you want to do the Marian consecration? <laughs> you know, like, do, you want, do you want me to walk you through it? You know, we could change your life. Um, so anyways, that's kind of my plug for that is that that has been the, one of the biggest blessings for me. Um, I will say burden is or end of summer. Mm-hmm. It's not really a burden because I'm really looking forward to starting the school year. I homeschool my kids and I've done so since COVID. And it's um, one of those things that was unexpected that we ended up doing, just felt called by the Lord to do and has mm-hmm. been such a cool journey to be on. And so I'm. it is a burden that we're not going to be like at the pool and doing all the summertime things. But I'm also kind of excited about starting this yeah. new phase and this new um, school year. So, yeah, but just, you know, lazy days of summer. Mm-hmm. Being on sleeping in, those yeah. kinds of things with the kids and things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I got. Awesome. I think my blessing is going to be really, I don't know, small. But, like, today I was just so productive because Ben let me be. Oh, that is big. He just, like, and, I, you know, like, he napped without me rocking him, which he's mm. always been a terrible sleeper. Mm. So, for naps, like, I have to rock him. Yeah. As long as I want him to sleep, basically. So, like, basically, you're stationary while he's oh, napping. Yeah. yeah. So, he let me, like, put him down for his nap so I could, like, do things. Yeah. And then he just played independently while I did some dishes. And I feel like my life was changed. <laughs> Those little things mean so much yeah. at this age. Because he is just, like, I mean, literally, I hold him all day. And if I try to put him down, he climbs me. Yeah. Like, he, he has just- climbed my leg. <laughs> And yeah, he's like a spider monkey. <laughs> he's um, like, I'm getting to you yeah. one way or the other. So I just like felt like my whole, I feel like my day was revolutionized. <laughs> I just feel like a whole person. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, going to come back. Yeah, yeah. And we baked, we baked some muffins together. Me yeah. and Ben did. So we just, I think he's been cutting molars for a while. So okay. I think he's just like been in a very fussy, clingy stage yes, for like that's some painful. weeks. Yeah. So my blessing is just that we had a normal day, probably for most people's normal day. Um, you got a little bit of freedom. Yes. Is what I'm hearing. Just like 15 minutes to do some dishes mm. and my life has changed. Um, my burden is very also small, but probably the last like four things I've baked was not happy with. Okay. I just like have not, I've had some misses. Yeah. And it's like really is mentally it's getting to me. you. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't think anything's <laughs> wrong with you. I think you're in a growth phase of like, are you learning from what your mistakes are? Well, again, I can pinpoint it. It's because I love to bake. And so I'll be like, Ben is leaving me alone for yeah. 10 minutes. I'm going to try to bang out something yeah. in 10 minutes. And so I'm like rushing it. I'm not reading the recipes all the way. Okay. Like, oh, I had one huge fail and it's because I didn't read 
the recipe and I just was trying to do as fast as I could and it was terrible. I was but, supposed to chill chocolate chip cookies for 12 hours, right. but I didn't, I just saw chill and I didn't read it through. So yeah. I just put in, in the, the fridge for like 30 minutes. Yeah. It was like soup when I popped it in the oven. It was the worst. Okay, but you're like probably never going to make that mistake again. No. Do you see what I'm saying? Like these are in, these mistakes are investments into your long-term baking skills. I know. It's just like frustrating to not, because I, I love to bake. So if I just don't nail it every time, I'm like, this is not no, who I the am. The fact that you're not nailing it means you're taking risks and you're learning from I your mistakes. I think I'm just rushing. It's what yeah. I feel but like. But I the just, rushing, aren't you going to learn from it? I mean, I'm deaf. I think what I've learned is just like, I cannot bake and be happy unless like someone watches Ben and takes okay. him for like at least two hours okay. so I can focus on what I'm baking. Yeah. Cause I can't do, well, I mean, we made our muffins. I just wasn't a fan of the recipe, but anyway, I'm just like mentally like, this is not who I am. <laughs> I am better than this. You're, you're in a different season. Yeah. I think it's commendable that you're baking while you're in this season. I, I love it. I have to be, I have to be creative and baking is like just creative embrace outlet. that this is the season where your right. baking is not, it's not going to be perfect. It's every for time. the therapy instead of the end product. Maybe you're right. I'm supposed to be cutting off sugar anyway, but I keep like baking another big good every other day. So you're, it's more for the process. Yes. You're right. You're right. But that's my like, that's frustrating. I keep though. trying I to be it. like, this is going to be, this is my return to who I am. <laughs> and then we eat it. And I'm like, this is, but there's no returning. Good. The sure. people on the great British baking show yeah. can make this recipe in 20 minutes <laughs> while they're being judged. Like I should be able to do this too. Listen, so. my, I, one time in therapy was like, I want to just go back to who I was. And my therapist was like, you can't go back. You're like, you're becoming something new. So I don't know if that helps for you, but that's free therapy advice. If you want. I'll take it. I'll take free therapy. Thank Hard you. one. Yeah. Therapy advice. <laughs> All right. Well, I love this. I pray for our priests, please. Yes. Pray for our St. Priests. John Gianni, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Amen. Bye. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Snacking with the Saints. Snacking with the Saints is a member of the Spoke Street Catholic Podcast Network. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating or leave us a review. You can also subscribe to be alerted of when we drop our newest episodes. You can find us on Instagram at snacking.saints.pod. Come on over, tell us your blessing and burden for the week. Maybe we'll share it on air. And please remember to keep us in your prayers. We're definitely praying for all of you.